Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. Today we are once again coming back to the subject of menopause, or as I called it in my mother's generation, the change. That's because the National Menopause Summit is taking place in Dublin next month on March 23rd in the Mansion House. This masterclass in menopause will debunk myths and taboos, provide fact-based information and will deliver the no-filter reality of the serious challenges that perimenopause and menopause can present. In this episode, I spoke with three brilliant women behind the event. Sinead McNamara, the founder of the National Menopause Summit, she tells me how her own experience of perimenopause inspired her to create this event, to support other women and share information with others. We'll also be joined by Dr. Kiva Hartley, GP, and a rare specialist in the menopause who runs the Menopause Health Clinic in Dublin. She spoke about the misinformation, which is rife, and the reality around symptoms and treatment of the menopause. And our third guest is Sally Ann Brady, who created the Irish Menopause Facebook group with a very large following, alongside her friend Claire Peel. The pair met in an online support group but decided to set one up for Irish women, and so the Irish Menopause was born. We'll be hearing about Sally Ann's journey and her struggle to find adequate information. Kiva, we're assembling this morning at a very odd time, in my view. You know, we went into this, you know, you, I have three people in front of me who know the menopause backwards, who know all the facts and figures. I spent yesterday reading up briefs. Um, and while I was sitting there reading a very long brief from our producer, <laughs> Suzanne, I was had a half an eye on the news. And the next thing, this item comes up about Nicola Bully, the young woman who disappeared um, in uh, the north of England a few weeks ago and still hasn't been found. And to my astonishment, they were ascribing perhaps her disappearance to alcohol problems brought on by a struggle with the menopause. And I thought, I was aware that the menopause had gone from zero to 160 in terms of being a talking point in the past couple of years. But this was a whole new era, I thought, in terms of people speaking about the menopause. You saw that. What were your first thoughts? I think in some ways it's not surprising 
I think we know a lot more now than we used to about menopause and I think its impact on mental health is something that thankfully is getting increasing recognition um, because it is something that is so vital for women to be aware of. Um, partly because they can then, you know, they can recognise it, maybe join the dots and know that, okay, there is something hormonal potentially happening here and hopefully seek help because we have very good interventions that can help. So I think it's a really important thing. Um, Sally-Anne, were you surprised to see this? Did that chime with all with, with all your your community? Yes, obviously nobody actually knows yet what has happened to this lovely lady. Um, but when I see the age, 45, and I see female, my gut instinct is always thinks menopause, as much as I hate to say it. Um, Part of my own story was I did actually become suicidal in my perimenopause, so I'm quite lucky actually to be here. And another reason that we started up the Irish menopause was Claire, who's the other founder of the group, her her dearest friend. Also, uh, she went missing in quite similar circumstances, and sadly she was found, and it was as a result of her not receiving the correct menopause care. Um, and we have sadly lost members along the way. Um we don't know what has happened to this woman, but we know the capability of menopause. Now, I don't want to turn this into a terror talk by any means because there are many, many good things and I'm much older than the women here and I can tell you I came through it with the help of HRT, thank you very much, Science, um, and never felt a thing. <laughs> but I have three women in front of me here who, as I say, know everything there is to know about it and two of them, Sally-Anne and Sinead, uh, have been through pretty horrific symptoms. Sinead, tell me about yours. Yeah, well, um, I suppose the menopause symptoms really hit me around March or April, around that time of 2020. So lovely during wow. COVID. Amazing. Um, and while I had obviously during perimenopause, my, my periods had kind of become incredibly irregular and I had started to experience I suppose some of the well-documented symptoms such as hot flushes and all of that kind of stuff. I really didn't know that much about brain fog. Um, I have a wonderful group of friends that are about 10 years older than me, a super group of women, and they would have gone through menopause before I did, obviously by virtue of our ages. And I heard mentioned in hushed tones brain fog, or that's menopause brain, I can't remember such and such's name, this kind of thing. But I never really took it that seriously, and um, I didn't really know the impact that it would have have. So how it um, sort of happened for me was um, as the year went on from March, April, because I, I specifically remember it, I started to really struggle with work. I started to really struggle with, um, you know, keeping all of the plates spinning. I work in festivals and events. Uh, there's a, a number of, of jobs that have to be done as part of that role. Um, and I, I just reached a point where I became incredibly distressed because I suppose how I would have seen myself in the past would have been quite competent, pretty strong and, and, and confident. And I felt that completely ebbing away to the point that I really thought at one point that I was developing early onset dementia. I, it was really upsetting. And of course, the net result of all of this is, apart from the inability to do your job and the daily stress and anxiety around that, is that your mental health just takes an absolute battering because you start to believe the old me or the previous me is just crumbling away 
what am I going to do now? I need to get some kind of job where I only have to do one thing. <laughs> um, and would I even be able to manage that? But from a sort of a wider perspective of how you see yourself as a person, who am I now? What's happening now? I mean, this is incredibly upsetting. Now, I was always a pro HRT person. I'm 54 now. Uh, myself and my sister is very close in age to me in our 30s. During the phase of HRT being, oh no, used to go on walks in the evening and go, I don't care. I'll be taking it, even when we were in our 30s. So I was always going to go down that road and I did. And in time, it it really helped, you know, manage that symptom. But I had no idea of how hard that can hit you. Um, and it was quite shocking for me. And I suppose it's 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 one of the many reasons that I decided to put the event together which we will talk about of in course, detail yeah. later. sally Ann, I think one of the things that will sort of scare people a little bit who haven't reached this stage yet is how early your perimenopause kicked in. You, sure. you were very young. Yeah, I guess um, knowing what I know now about the, how the body works, it wasn't actually that young. I'm just a super sensitive person. What age were you? I was about 36, 37 when it started to develop. And what we know is we do start to lose progesterone first from about 35, which would tie in with this sudden extreme anxiety I got, um, which then escalated. So I, I wasn't really that young, really, you know. And what we do see a pattern of in our community are women in their late 30s presenting in the group saying, hi, you know, this is what's happening. And none of them are sleeping. They're all anxious. Well, Kiva. You're our, our, our resident expert on this now. And to be honest, I was kind of taken aback at how, at how young Sally Ann was when, when she was in perimenopause. I mean, how common is that? I think it's quite common. Yeah. There's, so there's two different things at play here. You have perimenopause, which is the term that we give to the hormonal change that happens before your periods stop. So these are women who are still having periods. They can even still be having regular periods. And that can be, I suppose that can throw you because you think nothing has changed and yet you might be experiencing some new symptoms. Typically what women would describe would be worsening PMS. In a very simplistic way, that's what we would, that's what we would hear about. And if you look at what's happening in the background, a lot of menopause and perimenopausal symptoms, they're not your ovaries. It's not your womb. It's not, I suppose we think of menopause as being down there, but actually it's, it's up there. <laughs> it's in, it's your brain. So an awful lot of the symptoms are actually due to your brain's, um, it's trying to adapt to a new hormonal environment. It's quite similar to what happens with puberty, if you think of it that way. So in perimenopause, you get these um, fluctuating hormones. They fluctuate a lot more dramatically than they would uh, throughout a normal reproductive cycle. And as that happens, your brain tends to develop uh, cognitive changes. So um, as Sinead mentioned, you can see um, in particular, we would see a change in verbal fluency. So that's an inability to find the right word, someone's name, really knock your confidence because, you know, yeah, sure. I'm bad enough with names. I meet someone on the street and I have a small panic attack <laughs> internally, you know, so it can really knock your confidence, but particularly in work and, you know, um, so uh, a short term memory. So integrating new um, information, learning new things, that can be difficult. Um, so brain fog is a feature of perimenopause, mood changes and PMS symptoms. But they can happen from your late 30s, early 40s onwards. A lot of it is genetics. It when you say it can happen, mm. how common is it, Kiva? I don't think we have very good statistics for pinning down 
perimenopausal symptoms. Mm. And in part, that's because they come and go. So these are symptoms that can wax and wane. You can have three or four cycles in a row that are normal, in inverted commas, and then a couple of cycles where you feel dreadful. So it's a very difficult thing to gather information on. Menopause, though, like having your ovaries stop functioning, not producing estrogen, not ovulating, we do have very, because it's a much easier thing to measure, we have really good statistics around that. So average age would be 50, 51. Um, we'd see about 5% of women under 45 whose periods stop. 5%. 5%. We'd see about 1% under the age of 40. Now, you know, th that's women who have completely stopped having reproductive function. So obviously the number for, for women who are developing perimenopausal symptoms is going to be vastly higher than that. I would think, and it's anecdote, but on average, we would see women develop symptoms from 45 on average. But there's definitely a cohort of women who would start younger than that too, just like Sally Ann did. And Kiva, so while we're being a bit doomy here, let's talk mm. about the actual symptoms. Mm. And we, we know about the hot flushes, but you have percentages here. You have. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Okay, I think the classic thing is is hot flushes or night sweats. Actually, a lot of women start with with night sweats. So they just find that they're waking up, that their sleep is disturbed. About 70 or 80% of women will develop hot flushes. And what are hot flushes? So your hypothalamus, so part of your brain, acts as your thermostat, your thermoregulator. And you live most of your reproductive life with that thermostat being happy with a particular range of, of core body temperature. And for some reason, with the change or fluctuation in estrogen levels, and we don't know why this is, that, that range narrows. So basically, if your core body temperature goes up at all, your brain, your hypothalamus panics. It thinks, oh, we're, we're so overheated, I have to cool you down. It causes your blood vessels to rush to the surface so that you dissipate heat. It causes you to sweat and your, your body temperature drops. So most women report, I get this flushed, horrible sensation and there's a vascular element like your blood vessels are changing your heart rate goes up all in an effort to lose heat so they feel awful often enough but it's often followed by feeling really cold because your brain has achieved its goal of dropping your body temperature a little so women report you know at night time I wake up I'm, I'm hot I'm sweaty and then I'm throwing the covers on then off then on then off and then I'm freezing so it can be very uncomfortable and that's 70 percent of women but they Kiva, can I just distinguish between night sweats and hot flushes? Because obviously a lot of women's nightmare was you'd be presenting a conference and in the middle of your presentation, you suddenly get this hot flush, which is ham bang in the middle of the day. Sure. So so there, is there a different process going on there or are they the same thing? But just happen at any time? No, essentially they're the, they're the same underlying biological mechanism. But they're really interesting. Like if you look at the, the data, we know that women who get worse hot flushes tend to be at higher risk for vascular disease, for example. Um, or they're at worse risk for um, cognitive function. So often women who have worse cognitive impairment who report the verbal fluency, the brain fog, they're often women who are suffering with worse hot flushes and night sweats. On average, and I know this is all very doom and gloom, so we should bookend this with something positive. Oh, no, we'll definitely move on to the good <laughs> stuff. But, but we, ju we just need to spell it out, <laughs> yeah. really. So the other bad news is that on average, yeah, they last about five to seven years on average, which takes people by surprise. I, five I find. to seven years? Yeah, yeah, from beginning to end. So they may start before your periods finish. So we count that. Like you go, that's your, where your timer starts, if you like. But on average, five to seven years. But there's probably 10 or 15% of women who have hot flushes for life 
Well, let's finish this list of doom. So there's the <laughs> night, there's the night sweats, the hot flushes, sleeping problems. Yeah, and they happen. I mean, where do you start with sleep? So yes. you're, you know, you're yeah. talking about a demographic of women who are often busy. They might have a busy home life. They might have children. They might have elderly parents. They might have work commitments. They're often at the peak of their career. So you have a lot of stressors in the background that can contribute. They might have mental health issues that, that are maybe wrapped up in their menopause symptoms too and that can impact on sleep. Maybe they're waking up with night sweats. Maybe they need to pee a lot because we haven't even started on the vaginal symptoms. Um, again, apologies, but, um, uh, and you know, and maybe they've restless legs. So there's there's, there's so many contributors to poor sleep. Um you're looking at me like I'm... I, I'm, I'm not. It's just when you put the list together. It's, it's, it's frightening. harrowing, really. But bear it? in mind, that's what's interesting. That's what keeps my job interesting. So I do menopause at the moment, all day I, long. Yeah, and, and just let's finish the list. Okay. <laughs> because there's more. Um, a huge percentage say it affects their social life, has a negative effect on their work. Over half said it affected their sex lives. Mm. Just tell me a little bit about those three things. The social aspect, I think, is probably related to a combination of biological factors like hot flushes and night sweats, maybe mood changes, depression and anxiety is really common. Um, you could argue that menopause is really two, there's two issues. There's the social attitude to menopause and then there's the underlying biological issue yes. at play. Yes. You know, we're selectively ageist against women. Men are distinguished as they get older, but women are not. And that in, in itself, I think for a lot of women, they find, you know, my, they might be aware of, God, I'm getting these classic menopausal symptoms. My periods have stopped. Well, that's it. That's the harbinger of, you know, the end now and I'm done. And, and that's a horrible mental space to be in. So I and think that's very definitely the space that women were in. It was associated with, with, with a loss of fertility, with fading, with becoming invisible. Uh, again, this I know this sounds like a circle of doom, but nonetheless, I think we have to acknowledge the women of the past and our mothers, for mm -hmm. example, who endured this. Well, my mother, certainly, uh, not yours, who are too young, I'd say. But certainly before those women who went through menopause, um, I think for a lot of older women, it suddenly once they discovered the menopause themselves, they thought a lot of things began to make sense about their own mothers. Um, anyway, I just want to sort of salute those women. Uh, tell me about your own, your, your, how you came into, you, you specialised in this, Kiva, which is, a, and you're very young yourself. And it's a, it was I'll very, take that as a guess, the best compliment well, I've had in a while, so I'll take that, yeah. You look very young, <laughs> I'm not going to ask, uh, but but um, I would have thought it was quite an unpopular corner of medicine. <laughs> so what, what were you thinking? What was I thinking? I, so I, I'm a GP and I trained in Ireland, but I very early in my career went into women's health exclusively. Because um, I had an interest in it, I loved it. Um, I worked in fertility initially, which is all hormones, and it was an easy leap, really, from there to menopause. But it was probably driven by um, I would have seen women coming into the clinic, and um, they would often they'd sort of shoehorn in at the end of a consultation. Oh, by the way, you know, I'm here for something else. But by the way, I've just oh maybe it's nothing, or you probably can't do anything about it. And I know I can't take HRT. It was all there was always all these kind of provisions put on them being allowed to discuss their menopausal symptoms. And then I was faced with two issues. One was that I didn't know how to help them. Like I was struck by the fact that they had, you know, that it, they didn't seem that this, they didn't feel like this was, you know, warranted its own consultation in its own right. I thought that was really interesting. And secondly, I hadn't a 
rashers how to help these women. And so I think born out of that total ignorance, I felt I had to go and learn more and I found it really interesting and then I got a name for doing it and then it just grew from there. Were there any modules in medical school for for Oh God, that's very controversial. Yeah, I think we touched on it and we talked about, you know, well, HRT will give you breast cancer and menopause exists and then, you know, you rapidly move on and that was sort of the end of it. Lovely. Yeah. Because that's, that's actually would have been the shadow under which I went through what would have been my menopause without HRT. Thank you, science. Yeah. Um, And I do remember the date and I think it was maybe the early mid 2000s when this study came out, which I think was was rushed out by a particular group uh, who didn't quite misinterpret it, but, but but didn't actually sort of contextualize it either. Just tell me a bit about that, because that explains a lot, I think, about where we've ended with this subject in a science sense over the past 20 years. Yeah, I mean, you can roll this all the way back to the 19th century where nobody knew anything about menopause except that it existed and no one knew what ovaries or what the ovarian hormones were. They weren't discovered until um, probably early in the 20th century. But anyway, I'm trying to think of the kind of best kind of way of approaching this. Like the run into the Women's Health Initiative, which is the study that you've that you've mentioned there, was that the precursor to that was that um, HRT was the most prescribed medication in the early 1990s. So if you look at the States, they would have prescribed Premarin, which is the old-fashioned type of oestrogen, more than any other medication in the early 90s. So women were loving it and dying to go on it and found it life-changing. So on the back of that, they decided to study its impact in particular on cardiovascular disease. So that's what the, the study was designed for did this reduce the risk of heart disease in women? That's what they wanted to find out. And because of that, the average age in the Women's Health Initiative was 63, which is not the average age of, you know, of woman who is starting HRT now. But it was massive. It was one of the biggest um, randomised control trials that has ever been taken for women or undertaken for women. They published their results in 2002 and the trial was stopped early because of the increased risk of breast cancer. But... So these results were published in 2002. There was mass panic. The HRT prescribing rates plummeted over the next few years. And as you've you know, described yourself, just people went running from the, the stuff. Overnight. Generations yeah. of women then were you know, not in a position to be offered something that was so helpful and potentially beneficial from, for their health. That study was revisited in 2012 and, and kind of reassessed. And basically, when they looked at it again, what they discovered was, well, look, you know, average age was 63. A lot of these women had other risk factors. The type of medication that we're prescribing is not what we tend to use now. Um, When they actually kind of picked through the results, it could, you know, the study fell apart a little bit. And what we know now and our statistics around breast cancer now are just so much more reassuring than they were back in 2002. And that is why I think we've had this conversation opened up because we now have the confidence to offer women something that is really helpful. And I think that's that's been a huge game changer. Sally Ann, it feels like a lot of time was lost there for women yes. because of a badly interpreted study. Yeah, I, I always refer to them as the forgotten generations. And um, Well, thank you. <laughs> I, 
I feel like one of those, except that I did find yeah. a friendly doctor who did go on prescribing it. We deal with a lot of women who, I don't want to call them older, but they may be 60s and above and would have been on HRT when their menopause occurred, had a great time with it, loved it, and it was taken away from them. And sometimes then you hear them reporting back about their ill health and their list of symptoms or their osteoporosis they've discovered in their DEXA scan, etc. I really think um, it's probably one of the greatest scandals ever in women's health, the WHI, and it uh, doesn't seem anyone is accountable. And neglect. And at some point, sally you became acutely aware of this through your own experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you resorted to modern technology to, to, to pull a lot of people together. Yes. Tell me about that. Um, my, my journey was very, very difficult. And as I said, um, it really affected my mental health as well. And I ended up attending Pieta House. And I started, you know, I realised very quickly nobody is going to help me. I need to try and figure things out for myself. So I got reading and I got learning and it was just entering this huge rabbit hole. It was just incredible what I was discovering. And I realised, like, why is this information not out there for women? Why is there no place you can go? Like, why is there no menopause library? You can knock on the door and say, let me in, please. So that's why we we set up the Irish Menopause and... um, Myself and Claire and, and on we Facebook. talked on Facebook, yeah. And we said, look, it might be just the two of us and maybe a few will come along, think we're mad and leave again. But um, here we are now, almost four years on, 49,000. And every woman coming in has a similar story. Every every menopause is individual, but the thread running through it is the same. I feel like I'm losing my mind. I don't want to be here anymore. Why will my doctor not listen, etc., etc., etc.? Kiva, are those doctors refusing to prescribe HRT still or where are we with that now? I know, I think there's been a huge shift in the attitude towards managing menopause and HRT. But you have to remember a lot of a lot of GPs, certainly, and I can speak sort of about GP training because it's something that I've done. You know, when I came through my GP training um, and and the GPs that went ahead of me, they we were told there is there's a risk of breast cancer with HRT and that risk will outweigh most of the benefits. And so I think there's best interests at play. I don't think they're holding on to something thinking, well, I know this will help you, but I refuse to give it to you. I think they're genuinely concerned. But that piece of education has been you know, has been slowly changing. I do a bit of teaching through the Irish College of General Practice. They've really embraced, you know, um, putting forward a menopause module. We've seen huge uptake and interest in that. I'm part of a telegram group of of healthcare providers, mostly GPs. And there's, I think, um, 900 at least um, GPs on that group now. And they're, they put forward questions about HRT and menopause and it just, it reflects an appetite for wanting to know more. So I think it's slowly changing, but we have a long way to go. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sinead, how did your experience come into this? Now, you've set up this amazing event coming mm. up in March, but how, how long did you how long did you suffer for before you finally found your menopause library or whatever you found in the end? Um, I would say that, you know, sort of pointing back to the, the stage where the brain fog really kicked in. Um, I went on HRT at that point, so around the beginning of 2020. And I would say it took, I mean, it, HRT has, has, has changed the game for me, but it took time. You know, it's not an overnight solution. You start taking HRT on a Wednesday and by Friday everything yeah. is okay. I think that's important. Exactly. Yeah. It was still a struggle. It was still a process. It was still a journey. And in fact, during my HRT experience, I ended up changing product. And I mean, obviously, Kiva knows all about the different... Uh, delivery systems for HRT and I want I found one better than the other so sometimes well certainly for me speaking personally there was a bit of a trial and error situation so it's it took some time for things to kind of balance out again and even out um, but I suppose, you know, coming from my background in events um, all of my peers now are going through the menopause um, before even 2022, during COVID, and in my opinion, 2022 was a seminal year um, for the introduction, if you like, of the whole conversation of menopause to be out in the yeah, public it, consciousness. I was fascinated by that. It kind mm. of blew up, didn't it? Did. it? it you did. had every celebrity in the universe I know. talking about hot flushes and <laughs> sleeplessness and yeah, yeah, dry absolutely. vaginas and, yeah, and uh, all sure. the rest. Yeah, yeah well, what, what happened, Sinead? I mean, was, there, was there some... Was it Davina McCall all on her own or was it Oprah Winfrey or what was it? You know, I, I don't, I don't, I can't really say exactly what happened, but I agree with what you're saying. It seemed that it moved from, a, you know, a, a an object of derision and a taboo and keep it in the shadows there to almost bursting out the doors. And, uh, and I mean, that can only be a good thing. Um, but in terms of the event, I suppose once things sort of settled down for me with HRT, I had pre-2022 during lockdown, as I say, I started to kind of, um, you know, have an idea around running an event around menopause. And what was very, very important to me in terms of the planning of that event was that it would be absolutely 100% fact-based, science-based, that it would be clinician-led. Um, because going through the journey myself, and although I was predisposed by what I thought uh, on going on to HRT, there's a huge amount of misinformation out there. You know, there's a, there's a, a lot of sort of, well, maybe don't take this but take this instead and maybe people making decisions around managing their menopause that won't serve them in the in the long run from a health perspective so I personally have no truck with that as as a woman I have no truck with that and um, so when I was when I was putting this event together I knew that we wouldn't be discussing that we wouldn't be advocating for that and we'd be totally and utterly going down the fact-based road. Now Sally Ann Facebook is famously known for its truth and accuracy. Yes. <laughs> um, do you, you come across this all the time I presume on your page do you? 
Yes, absolutely. people absolutely sort of intent on keeping it scientific. Yeah, and, our yeah. group is all about menopause information, evidence based information. So inform, support and guide big into informed decision making because it's really the only decision making. As Sinead just said, it's very important we make decisions based on actual facts that will serve us long term. The amount of women out there that don't realise, for example, that osteoporosis is connected with the loss of hormones is quite frightening. And, you know, we need to make decisions based on the longer term. We need to be, I suppose, presumptuous and cheeky and assume we're going to live to be 100. So what we do now, we'll thank ourselves for when we're older. Okay, let's just talk for a minute about the misinformation. Yes. Are you coming across that? Are women asking questions on your page that really you go... Where in the name of God yes, did I hear that? all the time. So just give us, I don't want to be amplifying that, but for example, um, and then we can get Kiva to kill it, whatever it is. There's a good few of them, and, and Kiva, yeah, from a medical perspective. But, but one of these, uh, this language of I'm nearly through it, I'm out the other side, or I'm over it now, that language is just everywhere globally. Women believing you go through the menopause and come out the other side of it. We don't go through it, we go into it. And it's very important that women know that because they think I have to ride this out. And it's really sad when you're dealing with a woman who might be seven, eight, nine years, no sleep, no quality of life, in pain. And she said, I can't. She's thinking, well, it can't be much longer. That's really sad. And all while she's been suffering, she's been perhaps losing bone. There's changes happening in her body. And I mean, we talk about the three biggies as Kiva will, osteoporosis, heart disease and dementia. But what about type 2 diabetes, osteoarthritis? Um, You know, the list goes on and on of how menopause can affect you. What about the hormonal aspect of, we talk about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. What about dopamine and serotonin, vitamin D, insulin? They're all hormones and our mental health is really affected by this, depending on our genetics. You know, and so much like addiction, how menopause affects ADHD and autism, for example, is another huge area. Women turning to the bottle or drugs, et cetera, et cetera, when the hormones go wonky. And we could sit here all day and it's just it's very deep. And I saw a commentary about this terrible subject we're talking about, this lady in the UK of, you know, using labels like alcoholic. I, I mean, that doesn't come into it. I turned to drinking too much wine in my perimenopause because the only thing that made me feel normal in the evening, the anxiety was sky high. I didn't know at the time that it was making me worse. Um, You know, my own mother, sadly, was taken from this world very early. She had a very early menopause. She was dead at 49. I know what it does. I've lived it and I, I grew up without a mother because of menopause. So I'm obviously very passionate about this subject. I know its capabilities. Do you get very cross, sally when you hear the misinformation? Very. What is the, what, I understand, though. What is the worst of them, apart from thinking... The breast I can, cancer thing. That's, that's yeah, still you see out people, there and heavy. Yeah, like nearly every day you'll see a comment in the group and like somebody the other day said, um, I won't take it, it causes cancer. That is a huge statement to make, nothing to back it up. If people want to make statements, that's okay, but show us the science. Um, huge, big sweeping statement. My mother told me not to touch it. I'll get cancer. Yeah. This type of language, which Kiva can. Well, Kiva, isn't this the? Is, this is this. I suppose is the problem that we, we we're, we're going to have to face that for a second now. That 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 we're going back to that shadow, the lost generation, uh, about the breast cancer, about that report, sort of not contextualizing stuff. How do you deal with that? If somebody's in your, if somebody comes into you and says, you know, I have all these symptoms, but I really, I can't, I won't touch HRT. Does that happen? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think women are still 
terrified, but understandably, because how do you see the wood for the trees when you're getting different information? Yeah. You're being told different things, bom- like you're just being bombarded with information at the moment from all different angles. It's really confusing. So I'd see my role as helping someone wade through that a little and figure out what suits them. But I, I mean, similar to sally like I get sort of almost riled up, like you almost have to hold me back when we start talking about the misinformation. It's so frustrating because I do think women can be absolutely bamboozled by being told stuff that's just totally inaccurate. You know, um, I mean, where to start with all of that? So if you want to start with, with the breast cancer piece, maybe in particular, because I think that's what most women are most terrified of when it comes to HRT. And it's really simple because we've massive research around the impact of um, many different factors actually looking at breast cancer risk. So we can speak in actual hard factual numbers about it. Um, breast cancer itself is a very complicated illness. There's different types of breast cancer. So it's a it's a catch-all term for actually lots of different underlying types of pathology. Um, and when we're talking about risk factors, many different things go into why someone develops breast cancer. It's not just one thing. There is a combination of you know, aging and um, genetics, your family history, your you do smoke, how many pregnancies you've had, good luck and bad luck, and probably other things that we've never identified. It is a melting pot of risk. Um, the problem is that if someone develops breast cancer and they've taken HRT, like anyone, you start to look for, what did I do that has caused this? And it's really easy to point to a medication and say, oh, it was because of that. So if you take the large studies like the Women's Health Initiative, and other studies that have been done since, and you look at the impact that HRT specifically has on breast cancer. So you remove all of the other confounding factors. These are women who are the same age with a similar background, a similar body mass index, the same smoking status, etc. And you just isolate the HRT impact. What we see is three to five extra breast cancers for every thousand women who've taken five years of HRT. So just to put numbers on it, that's what we're looking at. But if you look at the impact, I mean, the classic one that Davina talks about in her documentary that we hear about all the time is if you look at a moderate alcohol consumption, that can have a similar impact, potentially even a greater impact on breast cancer risk. If you look at body mass index, et cetera, you know, all of those things can have an impact. However, with HRT, there is a flip side, which is that we see health promotion. So we see, as Salian has mentioned, okay, we see this small increased risk of breast cancer, but equally we see a reduced risk of osteoporosis, which is a massively important and under-recognized medical issue. We see a reduction in cardiovascular disease. Now, it's not as dramatic as the osteoporosis reduction, but it's there. And overall, if you look at mortality, do women live longer or not on HRT? They do, is the short answer. They do. They They do. They live longer on HRT. And better quality of life. So it's all cause mortality, dying from any cause, factor in your breast cancer, factor in your osteoporosis and hip fractures and other things. Even colorectal cancer potentially is slightly reduced with certain types of HRT. Um, uh, sally mentioned diabetes, that's true as well. So you factor everything in. And what do we see at the end of that? We see the small reduction in all cause mortality. So it's a very individual decision, but dispelling the myths, like all of the other stuff that's out there, you know, should I take supplements? Should I, the the other kind of classic one that I've rolled out a few times, but the, you know, knicker magnets, should I, you know, oh, sorry. Sorry. Stop you there. Knicker magnets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, um, 
these you, you, copper bracelets and like just all oh, no, manner no, of sorry, stuff. No, you want to go back to the knickerbockers. I want to know okay, about yeah. knickerbockers. Yeah, um, yeah so, I mean, they're sold still in pharmacies and they claim to have some sort of magnetic magic properties that I'm not aware that of. They stop hot flushes, apparently. Um, on, on a funnier note, anyone... Is it an actual magnet you put yeah, in it oh, it is. I'm, take, I'm taking my jacket off it's now mar- to answer this question. Okay, hang on. It's marketed for menopause and I believe you wear it. Now, anyone I know, a few people have said, which is very funny, that they've tried it and they go into Tesco's and the basket sticks to them. That's and um, <laughs> we'll hear lots of people say that. I like you're sticking to a lot of things, actually, if, if, if that is in fact true. Women are very vulnerable. Um, and I've been that vulnerable woman. We will try anything. Anything for a night's sleep, anything for peace of mind. We will spend anything we have to feel better. If somebody had said to me, if you drink this, whatever it was, you'll feel better, I would have tried it. And we need to respect this and not prey on the vulnerable. Sure. Kiva, I'm sorry, I led you off on a tangent there. No, no, I was okay, so startled by the, the, the <laughs> knicker magnets. Carry on. <laughs> but I, I agree with Sally and I think it's born out of I'm looking for a solution. I feel dreadful and I'm looking for a solution. And for women who don't get the classic hot flushes and night sweats, they might not see that it's a hormonal issue that's happening in the background at all. And they haven't a clue where to go then to, you know, to help themselves. And so education is so important. But like I see all manner of, you know, I've tried turmeric and I've tried this and I've tried that and it, and again I mean like I you know you giggle because you think you know how, how in God's name is that supposed to help you but I totally understand that it is born out of absolute desperation yeah, I fear of taking hatred Kiva, when the, the, the regime changed overnight back in the 2000s what was it it was Osh Ashkawanda is that what it was? Maybe. There was something that suddenly became, you had to have this. There's black cohosh. And <laughs> yam. And yeah. black cohosh. Well, HRD is made from yam. Is it? It yes. is, actually. Okay, so that wasn't, that wasn't a, that wasn't well, you a complete... Would need, you'd need a bathtub full of yams a day, like, bear in mind. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, I, I just, when I think back to those women in, in that generation, I feel desperately sorry for them in that case, Kiva. Anyway, I did lead you astray there. No, Carry no. on. I mean, there's other ways, if we look at, I, I just think there's room for a very broad conversation. If you look at the kind of bone health and heart health, HRT is not the only thing that will reduce your risk of osteoporosis or reduce your risk of cardiovascular mm. disease. Vitamin D supplementation, adequate calcium in your diet, weight-bearing exercise, aerobic exercise, a Mediterranean, like all these other things, they are still really important. And cognitive behavioral therapy and counseling are excellent ways at looking at, you know, looking after your mental health, being active, you know, all these things are still important. So I'm not saying it's HRT and nothing else. But for women who want it or need it, we should be able to have a very balanced discussion about it. And in the view of the experts, Kiva, how many women need it? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, okay, well, if we're saying 70 to 80% of women will have symptoms that are noticeable through their menopause and about 20% in total are going to have fairly severe symptoms. We've about 20% who don't develop impactful symptoms as they go through menopause. So I'm not sure I can... Just 20% don't experience impactful symptoms. Their reproductive ability will stop, their periods will stop, but they won't necessarily get all of the other terrifying symptoms that we've talked about, yeah. Okay, but they good. still have the same risk as the rest of us of heart disease, osteoporosis yes. and dementia. True, but again, vitamin D, calcium, you know, it's not the only way. Yeah, okay. So I think, you know, but I'm not opposed to if somebody 
wants to to take a trial of HRT and often that's what we the, the conclusion we come to in the clinic for some women who feel like I'm having symptoms but sometimes it's hard to know is my mood and my sleep affected because of hormones or is it all this other stuff in my life well a trial of hormone therapy actually carries very little risk if any and so that's often a very good way of figuring out is this something that I will benefit from or not okay so let's get to the cheerful thing okay tell me about HRT and how people can get it and how it's delivered and what changes have come about since the frights of the 2000s. Okay, so pre-Women's Health Initiative, if you go back to the 1960s and just before that, their approach was, um, well, actually, there's a lot of medical approaches to treating menopause at that point. They they, They used to give testicular juice from cows Cows? No, bulls it would have been. Would have been yeah, okay, I get my gender right here. Um, or crushed up um, like ovaries, like ovarian dust. Anyway, um, or there was even, there was a doctor in the 19th century who, who um, he thought the, the kind of correct approach was to chop off the clitoris, genuinely. Um, so that just, just to give you background and a little bit of a sort of, you know, setting for what we're talking about. So thankfully that kind of moved forward. And then in the 60s, we found, that's kind of modern HRT then really developed in the 1960s. And initially what they were giving, uh, given was, was called uh, Premarin. So that's a brand name. So the Premarin is literally pregnant mare's urine. So this was estrogen that was isolated from um, the urine of, of pregnant mares. And, but it was, it was a combination of many different types of estrogen. So it was a real kind of hodgepodge of lots of different types of estrogen. So Anyway, that developed on modern HRT that we have now, thankfully, is a bit safer. So what we prescribe primarily now is usually it's estrogen that's given through your skin. And the reason we like to prescribe it through your skin is because it's a little bit safer. It doesn't carry the same risk of blood clotting or stroke that tablet estrogen would have. Um, so usually that's in the form of a patch or a gel or a spray. Or a spray. Um, women who still have their womb... So if you haven't had a hysterectomy, you need to take a second hormone called progestin. And the reason we give progestin is to protect the lining. So the lining of your womb can get very thickened when you're taking estrogen and that can lead to womb cancer. So that's called combination HRT, a combination of estrogen, usually through your skin, and then progestin. And a lot of the breast cancer risk seems to be related to the progestin. So women on estrogen only, if you've had your womb removed, they don't have an increased risk of breast cancer at all. Now, theoretically, maybe 20 years on on estrogen only, we might start to see a statistical difference. But I think that's really important to know. But can we just reiterate that point about breast cancer Mm. and in the statistics? Yeah. The increase is, what did you say, three in So about three to five extra breast cancers for every thousand women taking five years of combination HRT. Is there any way of avoiding the combo by using a different form? Not at the moment, but maybe coming down the line, but not at the moment. So the problem is with estrogen only, as you know, we'll, we'll end up with higher rates of womb cancer. Mm-hmm. So there are other medications. You're, yeah, you're right. But, um, but at this point in time, combination HRT is probably, you know, the only option for women who have, who still have their womb. So delivery, excuse my old-fashioned interpretation of this, Kiva, it's, is it via skin patch or how, when you say not, not in pill form, what are we talking yep, about? Yeah, so there's a patch which you change twice a week. There's um, a gel which you can apply either to your outer arm or your thigh. And then we have a spray form as well that goes to your inner forearm, like a very fancy, not very smelly perfume. What about the natural progesterone? Lots of people I see talk about. 
Do you mean like like uterogestion? Yeah. So that has been one of the big game changers, hasn't it? So um, you know, as I was saying, I think the the progestin, what we pair with your estrogen to protect your womb, seems to to change the breast cancer risk. And the old fashioned types of progestins carried more breast cancer risk. What we use now, and what Saliana is referring to, is a thing called micronized progesterone which is basically, or some people call it body-identical progesterone, yeah. Um, so basically, this is a molecule that is a replica of what your ovaries produce when they make progesterone. So your body recognizes it, it's familiar to it, but it seems to be a lot more breast-friendly. And we have better data looking at that type of combination HRT that would suggest the breast cancer risk is still there, but is, but is lower. Okay, but it's tiny anyway. It's small anyway, yeah. Yeah. The risk is bigger if you drink a couple of glasses of wine every night, which, which I was doing yeah, for years. I, Sally, and I know, I know, and it's, I'm afraid. But it's I didn't know real. that. Like, why do I? Why did I not know that the wine was making me worse? That it was giving me breast cancer risk? Why did I not know I was in perimenopause? Why is this education not part of school growing up? Why do we not know what our own bodies do? That's I, what I'm most annoyed by. We have no idea. What do you think is happening now? I mean, you have your 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 fantastic Facebook page. Um, that is obviously a huge development. The fact that Kiva went into this dusty corner of medicine um, was such an act of faith. I think in 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 older women. Thank you for that. And and you're you're doing this, Sinead, You're doing this this National Menopause Summit, National, yeah, on yeah, the 23rd of March, masterclass yeah. in yeah. menopause, one hundred percent. Yeah. So so everybody in this room is making a most amazing contribution to this debate, which should have happened, as we know, decades and decades ago. <sighs> Tell us about this event. Sure. Um, okay, so the event is a full day event. Um, it's taking place in the Round Room in the Mansion House on the twenty third of March. Um, I've had uh, chats with the ladies here, obviously the, both the ladies here are speakers at the event and basically what we're attempting to do here and what we will do here is deliver a masterclass in menopause for our delegates on the day. Um, so broadly speaking, the, day, the, the event has been split up into two sessions, which I think are incredibly important to most people. Session one in the morning um, focuses on menopause and the workplace, uh, a subject very close to my own heart, given my own experience. And in the afternoon is the journey through menopause. So we will be providing an inclusive, fact-based platform for our delegates to give them best in class um, knowledge around menopause and also through the event we will be advocating for the widespread introduction of a new norm across the Irish workplace where women feel supported um, to forge forward in their careers um, through the introduction of um, menopause awareness programmes, menopause champions um, and there's a whole spectrum of things that, that organisations can do. So we've quite a lot to do in year one. We intend on running this event annually and I was laughing to myself the other night when I was thinking about my little opening chat or little talk that I, I'll open the event on the 23rd and I will be pre-apologising to people in the audience that we won't get to everybody's questions um, because we have uh, built in a moderated panel discussion and audience Q&A in both the morning session and the afternoon session and I feel very confident that we're going to be bombarded with questions. We've got amazing content on the day and as lovely as the round room people are in the mansion house, they ain't going to let us stay there till 10 o'clock that night. No. So we have a lot of stuff to cover off 
Um, and luckily, we have Gronya Showiga as our MC on the day, and Gronya is an amazing. And your MC. Key, your keynote speaker is Davina McCall. Yes, which every, who everybody has heard of. Yes, uh, and you have Kiva, and you have Sally Ann, and who else do you have? Uh, we have Dr. Deirdre Lundy, who is a colleague of Kiva's, and Dr. Deirdre Lundy um, is uh, heads up the complex menopause clinic um, at the National Maternity Hospital. So Kiva will be sort of speaking on, let's call it non-complex menopause and Deirdre then will be focusing on complex menopause. We have a couple of barristers at law speaking in terms of the empowerment and introduction of menopause supports um, into the workplace. We have the wonderful Loretta Dignam who started the Menopause Hub who's an absolute titan and advocate and champion of menopause in this country. And then we have a number of different... um, uh, panels uh, across the day. So we've one in the morning where we will present um, uh, research from different sectors uh, where women in the workplace at you know were, were researched and were asked for their feedback in terms of um, their view on supports or lack of them. Um, and so we have the um, the uh, IBEC will be presenting um, research that they did on the private sector and um, the Higher Education Authority will be um, presenting research that they have found in this regard and also the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. And then in the afternoon, we put a panel together. I'd love to give everybody 20 minutes to talk, but again, we're, we're yeah. confined to time where we'll also have a panel covering off really essential um, topics such as heart health, pelvic floor health, the importance of maintaining muscle mass as we age. Um, so we're working with physios and professionals in that regard. So really it's, on one hand, it's the no filter reality of yeah. menopause on the day. But on the other hand, it is a very positive move. Move. We're not going to sit there with, you know, in sackcloth and ashes. It's all about giving people the best information we can to enable them to have the best outcomes. And one other little thing, we decided what we would do is we'd, we'd end you know, with a bit of fun. So we're thrilled as well to have Deirdre O'Kane, who is going to do a 30-minute set for us at the end of the day where we can all kind of exhale and have a little bit of a laugh. Um, and she's uh, she has been touring a show that she wrote and produced called Demented, which is all about, you know, midlife you know, elderly parents, managing your teenagers, doing a job, managing your relationship. Yeah. So she's going to do an ex- an excerpt of that for us at the end of the day. So I see it as an incredibly positive move. You know, it's yeah. all about enabling people and educating people. And I really want all of our delegates to leave and go, holy God, that it, I now have the toolkit from yes. a work perspective and from a personal perspective on how to deal with okay. this. Okay, so that's the National Menopause Summit. Thursday, 23rd of March. Yeah. Round room at the Mansion House. Sally Ann, let's just stay cheerful here. Uh, <laughs> the Bank of Ireland is introducing menopause leave. Yes. Or has already introduced it, has it? Yes. Um, yes, this this is happening and companies, I, I do a lot of workplace talks myself in menopause education and they're really engaging with this and really realising why they're losing staff or why staff performance is dropping. It's it's really fascinating. And Sinead is going to have a lot of this covered mm. at the event. We have Joanne Healy speaking. Joanne is the uh, head of group employee relations at Bank of Ireland and she was the lady responsible for introducing the 10 days paid menopause leave, which we all read about pre-Christmas in the press. Yes. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Super. Can I just, just be a little bit of um, um, Debbie Down buzz here for a second uh, and and you know things are are often sort of I suppose um, uh, hijacked by 
rebranding. You know, the idea now of calling hot flushes power surges and that sort of thing, Kiva. Yeah, I've read that. <laughs> I read a long piece in the Financial Times last Saturday about how this consumer rebranding thing is taking over what is the serious stuff we've been talking about mm. this morning, which is why this is so important to get all the facts out there. But there is there is there there is a, a lot of consumer consumerism entering into this. Uh you know Pennies apparently are doing special nightwear. Boots are doing um, a lot of supplements. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of this, but there's a sense and all the celebrities are getting getting a word in and Mm. sort of reclaiming a space by saying, oh, yeah, me too. Naomi Watts, for example, apparently has also, she has, on the one hand, having these great community discussions, the actress having these great community discussions, on the other hand, has introduced her own products for sale. I see Sally Ann is laughing. Um, yeah, <laughs> but actually, it is slightly worrying that that very important space could be hijacked by a billion dollar industry. Exactly, exactly, Sally Ann. Are you seeing evidence of this, your Kiva? Are you seeing evidence of I this? I think it goes back to what Sally Ann was saying about vulnerability, and I think it's preying on the fact mm. that women are looking for answers. Yeah. But I think if you take a step back. What we should be asking ourselves is, I mean, you know, keep your pyjamas. Like, what's actually useful here? And to be honest, 99% of the supplements are not useful. Vitamin D, excellent for maintaining your bones. You know, if I have somebody who comes in and says, look, I tried magnesium and my sleep is much better, well, more power to you. Like, I think, great, then if you, if you find that that works for you, I think go for it. But without an evidence base, I'm not in a position to recommend that someone starts anything. And, you know, and it's a line I've used before, but I think a lot of supplements are just expensive. We, at the end of the day, like, I don't think they're worth, they're expensive, mm-hmm. you know, and I just don't think, it's, I think it's worth spending your money on something that's actually helpful. So talk to the right person, get support and whether that's attending something like the Menopause Summit and arming yourself with the right education or being part of a Facebook group so you get the both education and the support, the psychological and emotional support that you need or going to your doctor and talking about what options are available but reach out for something that's actually helpful. Mm. I'm not sure that, you know, a particular pair of pyjamas are going to solve the issue. <laughs> or a knicker's magnet. <laughs> or a knicker's magnet. education is huge here because if people actually understand what menopause means and what it is, then they straight away they'll know, well, that's not going to work. I'm not buying it. And there's healthy, we, we call it very healthy debate on social media all the time about people referring to menopause as a hormone deficiency and then arguments arise. I don't really mind what anybody calls it, but it is what it is. The ovaries have stopped producing hormones, simple. So call that whatever you like. And the only way of replenishing those hormones, sadly or, or brilliantly, is by putting hormones back in. You know, a, a a, a fancy meal or a fancy supplement can't put the hormones back in and that's essentially what's missing. So I think when women understand that, then it's quite simple. Then they realise, sure, how would that work? I'd like to rebrand if that's okay. So I think I don't like the term menopause even particularly. I, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, so like that was coined, it was a French term um, originally, some if I was any better now, Charles, I'd have you. Charles Pierre. There you go. Look, I knew. I knew one of us would know. Sally Ann, you are on fire. <laughs> yes. But it used to be called the climacteric. That was the yes. old term. And which I think implies more that this is a transition. And you're moving from one stage to the next. It's not a positive thing. It's not the end of something. It's the it's the 
end nature, like menopause, it just sounds like it's the end of something. I hate that. It's not. It's like puberty. It's like pregnancy. It's like, you know, it's a transitionary period in your life where you move from one, you know, state to another. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. There's positives and negatives to both. Rebranding how we view that and how we view aging is is just key to so much of how we treat this. And so say all of us. Um, I think the menopause is a shocking name, actually. And I am so wholeheartedly in agreement with you. Chanel, I'm going to give you the last word because you're the woman running this vast show. How many people are going to be there? The round room holds 450 people and we're almost sold out now at this point. So come and get your tickets. Is it it ruinously expensive? No, it's not ruinously (laughs) expensive. No, it's not. Um, When you consider, um, number one, as you can appreciate, there are huge costs involved in putting on an event like this. Um, So, you know, people have made suggestions that it should be free and it should be that and it should be the other. And certainly I believe that all the information that we're presenting at the event should, in an ideal world, be free. However, I contacted the HSE, the Department of Health, the Taoiseach's office and nobody wrote me a cheque. So as a result of that, myself and my colleague are obviously financing putting the event together and events are an expensive business as I'm sure you can appreciate. So what we have tried to do is make it as um, cost effective as we possibly can. I do understand there will still be people who can't afford the ticket cost or because of work or geography implications won't be able to attend. Yeah. Mm. How much is it? It's €169. Euro. Okay. Can I make one little point on that? It's probably probably cheaper than a Knickers magnet. Well, it, it probably is. I don't know how much Knickers <laughs> magnets yeah, are. Yeah, Knickers magnets. Exactly. <laughs> if I could just make a, a, a point as well in relation to the ticket price, that includes 23% VAT that goes to the government. I reached out to the revenue commissioners when I was planning the event and I was left in no doubt that I had to um, apply that at 23% the tickets. So the tickets are actually €137, but unfortunately 23% is put on in VAT and we as event organisers have no choice in that regard. Okay, I'm going to say something like the very old, old fashioned feminist that I am, which is if men were going to go through five, six, seven, eight years Mm -hmm. of sometimes suicidal misery. Yeah. Would the government be charging VAT yeah, on I, I conferences to sort them out? I say that with grimness. Having said, I'm going to cheer everything up. But I think in the main, the story here is very positive. It's come out from the corner, Kiva, thanks to you and sally and Sinead. But there's no doubt about it. This is a very, very, very serious issue. Mm. Um, and very, very importantly, we need as much information as we can get the best kind of information and we have three great women in the room who have just given it to us and thank you for that and good luck with the with the summit. Thank Sinead. you so much. And thank you very much. Wonderful thank speakers. You. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Thanks again to our guests Sinead McNamara, Dr. Kiva Hartley and sally Ann Brady. I hope you found something enlightening and cheering about it. It's kind of, it can be quite difficult as a subject to get a handle on. And it can sound quite doom laden, but in fact, we are very lucky to live in the time we're in. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roisin Engel, Suzanne Brennan and Aideen Finnegan with JJ Vernon on sound. 
I'm Cathy Sheridan, and until next time, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.